This looks so strange looking from up here. There's just so few here. But I'm thankful that you're here. I, I do really do appreciate it. And, you know, it's not never been about numbers. It, it's, it's about God's family. So we rejoice with them that they're able to get away. But, you know, it might be a good idea this week to look around and see some who are missing and just tell them they were missed this morning. Amen? It's always good to be missed, isn't it? You know, I was just informed that uh, Ron and Carol, you guys are doing a real work of, of God's grace in someone's life. Uh, my understanding that a teacher here in the liberal school district has suffered a massive stroke. I'm heart attack, I'm sorry. Okay, and uh, Ron and Carol, you came home from Minnesota to just help in this situation. That's what the love of Jesus is about. And we pray God's blessings upon you guys. Just thank you so much for your willingness to be available to minister. And, and some of the links that you've gone to, to to help that situation, may God bless you richly. And we'll be praying for you and with you about that. Oh, boy, last Sunday was a great Sunday. Getting to hear from the youth that went to camp. Uh, it's, it's refreshing to hear from somebody other than me, right? Uh, but no, I, I'm just so thankful for the experience that some of our youth had uh, while at youth camp, and we thank you for making it possible for them to go. But today I'm going to go back to our sermon series uh, with part three of Can You Only Imagine? And I'd like for you to go with me in your Bibles, if you would please, to Acts chapter number nine. Acts chapter number nine. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murders and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, and that is simply got, uh, the scripture writer's way of saying anybody who believed in Jesus and Jesus' resurrection from the dead, either men or women, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Thank you. <clears throat> as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... Here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
For this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and the sons of Israel. I will certainly show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. What a great story. Of course, we know that this Saul from Tarsus became the Apostle Paul, who has given us nearly two-thirds of what we now call the New Testament. But before I get into all of that, I was... uh, caught or struck by a story I heard not long ago of a man who was having difficulty communicating with his wife. And he finally came to the conclusion that evidently she had become hard of hearing. So he decided to conduct his own hearing test without her knowing about it. And so one evening he sat in a chair on the far side of the room away from his wife Her back was to him, and she couldn't see him. And very quietly, he whispered, Can you hear me now? And there was no response. Moving a little closer, he asked again, Can you hear me now? Again, no response. And quietly, he edged closer and closer and whispered the same words, but still no answer. And finally, he moved right in behind the chair that she was sitting in and said, Can you hear me now? And to his surprise, she responded with some irritation in her voice as she answered at the top of her lungs, For the fourth time, yes. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of our house. But the reason I share that story with you is to make a point. It's funny how we often accuse God of not hearing what we say. When in fact, it's really us who have difficulty hearing God. Perhaps one of the most challenging things to hear from God is this matter of finding the purpose for your life that we've been talking about in our previous two messages from this sermon series. And I believe, I personally believe that it's not until we find our God-given purpose uh, for our lives that we can expect to effectively carry out God's plans and God's purposes under the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Uh, A devout Jew named Saul, He unknowingly experienced exactly what I'm talking about in this text from Acts chapter number 9. This man, Saul, was, he was a Jew among the Jews. He was very well educated, having been taught in the schools of Gamaliel, who was probably the leading Bible scholar of his time, the best rabbi of that day. And in Paul's education, Paul became the star pupil. He was destined for the highest seat in the Jewish ruling body, the Sanhedrin. He knew the Old Testament from cover to cover. But to the prophecies about Jesus and to the identity of Jesus, 
Somehow Saul was ignorantly blind. He didn't understand that the very Jesus that he was persecuting, the very Jesus whose, whose movement of believers was, was such a threat to the Jewish way of belief that Saul had taken up, up on himself to, to stamp out this ridiculous notion that Jesus somehow was their long-awaited Messiah and that in his death he provided the once-for-all-time sacrifice that the Jews uh, would no longer have to adhere to the temple worship system. And, and then the most preposterous part of it all that Saul wanted to stamp out was this idea that somehow Jesus had risen from the dead. He felt that it was his responsibility to stomp out what we could call the beginnings of Christianity. Saul, you see, he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. He thought he was being faithful to the law and the will of God by persecuting and arresting and consenting to the murder of, of Jesus' followers uh, because they were speaking what he had been taught to be blasphemy. And they were worshiping someone, Jesus, whom he thought was nothing more than a mortal man rather than the Messiah. In a sense, it could be said that Saul could see the physical, but spiritually he was blind to what God was doing. But although he thought that he knew God's purpose for his life to stamp out Christianity. He was sadly mistaken. That's not the purpose for which God sent us, Saul of Tarsus. As I said earlier in this series, we've been talking about discovering the plan of God for our lives. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that the first way to do that is to follow Jesus into the work of God that's going on in the world. In other words, you just can't sit there and try to figure out your purpose. You have to get off the bench. You have to get into the game by serving. And then your life purpose will be revealed to you and begin to emerge. And then a couple of weeks ago, we, we learned that we are meant to grow in our faith maturity-wise. We are to grow spiritually. If we stay as children in the faith, we'll never come to grasp or understand that there are greater things of God that he has in store. And among those greater things is this idea of finding God's purpose for our lives. So how do we do that? Well, again, a couple of weeks ago, we learned five disciplines for spiritual growth. We talked about daily devotions with God, being a lifelong learner, investing in key relationships, visioning for the future, and eating and exercising for life. And that brings us to my text this morning, and we see the third key to discovering God's purpose in our lives. And it can be found in one word. The word is community. Doing life together. It's in community that we experience the presence of Jesus and God's purpose in our life. We read that Saul was greeted by Jesus while on the road to Damascus to have more Jesus followers arrested for their faith. Jesus 
encounters Paul and he, or Saul and he asks him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then we read that as we go on through the conversation that Saul is blinded and therefore in need of help. He's instructed to go on into the city of Damascus where he will stay for three days and where God will send a follower of Jesus named Ananias to him to bring healing to Saul, not only physically, but spiritually through prayer. Now, the moment that Saul's sight returns, we we read in, in verse number 17 and 18, Saul got up and was instantly baptized into the faith. He then spent several days with the disciples that were there in the city of Damascus. And then after a period of time, and we know from Galatians chapter number 1 verse number 18 that at this, after a matter of time was actually preparation for about three to five years. After three to five years of being prepared and being ministered to by Jesus himself, Paul said in Galatians 1.18 that he goes into ministry and he begins proclaiming. Listen to what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. The very thing that he was trying to stamp out, he now begins to proclaim. I said that it's in community that we experience the full presence and the purpose of Jesus for our lives in community that we experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear me on this, friends. Up until Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the full Spirit of God lived in the body of a man whose name was Jesus. But the miracle of having Jesus physically in the world was limited to space and time. We know that he was only here physically for some 33 years, that he was only involved in ministry for some three and a half years. And in that manifestation, in the physical Jesus, Jesus could only be one place at a time. But when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he promised us that we would never once be alone. Any of us will never be alone, but rather that he would dwell in us in the person of his Holy Spirit. Now, he promised that his Holy Spirit would then empower those whom he dwelled in, those who followed him, and would make them effective in building his church. His church is another word for the community of those who believe in Jesus. Now we can drive from that, that wherever the community of Jesus is, there will also be the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that a spirit without a body can do nothing? It's in community that we experience the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus, not just as individuals, but corporately as the church. We will experience that when we are together. And I personally believe that that word, together, is the most important word found in the entire Gospel of Acts. Let me just give you some examples. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, 
It says all of these were continually united. That is, they were united together in prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, it says when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 44, it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. Acts 2.46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart together. Acts 5.12, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet together in Solomon's colonnade. In Acts 14, 27, after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had done with them. It's a recurring theme throughout the book of Acts. This word together, which tells us the importance of community. It's only when we come together as the body of Christ, the church, that we can experience the spirit of Christ and the purpose of Christ flowing through us. As followers of Jesus, we come together because we have a shared faith, we have a shared mission, and we have a shared life. Come to believe that the majority of people who are associated with church don't really understand what the church is all about. I know a lot of people who see the church as being like a club. The Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or the Rotary or the Lions Club. The church is not a club. A club comes together because they have similar interests, ideas, or causes. Followers of Jesus come together because we have a shared faith, a shared mission, a shared life. And it's in the community of the church that we find life itself in the person of Jesus, and that we find our purpose. If I'm not in the body, speaking of the body of Christ, the family of God, I'm like a toe that has been severed from the body. Uh, the moment I'm severed or cut off, there's no life in me, and I begin to die. As I was thinking about that, I thought, I recall back in fifth grade, or excuse me, sixth grade, I was uh, in class one afternoon when my dad's hired hand on the farm mysteriously showed up at the door of my classroom. Uh, he had been sent to get me to take me to the hospital where my dad had been taken because my dad's foot had been cut off. Uh, they were, my brother and my dad were working on the farm and they had a disc attached to the tractor and the hydraulic hose on that was holding the disc out of the ground uh, failed and the disc fell and my dad's foot was under one of those sharp discs. Now I found out when I got to the hospital that my dad had been waiting to receive medical treatment for that severed foot for three hours. Sitting in the waiting room for three hours with nothing more than the skin to the bottom of his foot remaining attached to what was the rest of his foot. It had, it had cut his foot off right behind the, the ball of the foot. 
and all that was there left holding it on was his skin. But because he'd had to wait for three hours, we were told that that the rest of the foot had been separated from the blood vessels long enough that they would have to fully amputate the foot. And so my dad, for the rest of his life, had to wear a special shoe and, and uh, in order to be able to walk, and he did. But that stuck with me that if it was separated from the blood vessels, that it quickly died and could not be recovered. Now, I share that with you because we need to understand that in the community that we call the church, we can have no life in Christ when we try to operate outside of the community of Christ. And I know when some of you hear me say those words, you're already taking exception to that statement because you've been told that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you're right. You don't. But I want you to hear me on this. If you are attempting to isolate yourself from any type of church community, I can guarantee you that your effectiveness in carrying out the great commission that Jesus gave to his church to evangelize the world will be greatly compromised. I hope you can trust what I'm saying on this, friends, because whether or not we like the idea of church, whether or not we have witnessed the imperfections found in the church, and every church has them, whether or not we've been tragically hurt by a church, it is still the entity that our Lord Jesus Christ chose to be the means by which his purposes can be accomplished. Hebrews 10.25, the writer to Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but so much the more as you see the day coming. What's the day? The day when Jesus gathers his church to himself to spend eternity in heaven together with them. Now, as Americans, we have been taught to be individualists. And unfortunately, we've taken that truth to apply to our spiritual lives. We try to make it about me and Jesus. However, it's only as I'm connected to the community of Christ's people that the life of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus will effectively show through me. It's critical that we stay connected to the body of Christ. When we view the church as being a club... We can think, oh man, it's a Saints home game this week and I've got tickets. I'm going to go to the Saints game. And by the way, I'm not talking about the, the Seward County Saints. We've got an opportunity to gather with the Saints. So we make a decision, I'm going to go gather with the Saints this week. And we decide that based on the neatest thing that we want to do on any given day. But we have to realize that it's only as I am connected to you and you connected to me that we function together as the body of Christ. And that the life of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus will then flow through us. And I said all of that to say this, friends. Because we have a shared life and a shared purpose, it's bigger than just me or you. When we're here working on what 
uh, on what God's purpose is for your life, you're tempted to think, and I'm tempted to think, that it's just about me and finding my purpose. We come to believe that we can follow Jesus and serve him on our own. Nothing can be further from the truth. God never intended for any of us to serve him and accomplish his will apart from the body of Christ. Again, listen carefully on this. The way that you discover your individual purpose or giftedness is by understanding the shared purpose that we all have together. Our mission and each of our individual roles in that mission. What is our mission? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Teaching them to, to uh, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all things that Jesus has commanded. And Jesus promised that he would be with us always in that pursuit of that mission. Ephesians 4.16, Paul says it this way, from him, speaking of Jesus, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, I said a while ago, all of the gifts were embodied in Jesus. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, all of the gifts of God are now embodied in the community of Jesus that we call the church. Hate to disappoint anyone here this morning, but I'm going to say it anyway. None of us have all the gifts that we need. None of us. Not one of us have every gift that we need to effectively accomplish our purpose in life. But when we're all joined together, we can embody all the gifts of God for the world, which together will enable us to accomplish the work that Jesus has given us to do in the world. For the body to function at peak level, I have to function, and so do you. So do each of us. Let me just share a couple things for you. That, that's, that's the preaching part of it. The rest of it's from my heart. Okay? Pastor Mike Slaughter, in his book entitled Recovering the Mission and the Ministry of Jesus, tells the story of his dog, Luca, who is a giant schnauzer. Luca had an infected toe for several months on his back leg. And one of the things that he had noticed is that Luca would tend to drag that back foot, which would cause him to scrape that toe, and therefore, over a period of time, cause the toe to become infected. Their vet couldn't figure it out. So he sent Mike and his dog, Luca, to Ohio State University to a neurologist. And Mike told his vet, he said, I, 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 they're looking at his head. It's, it's all the way at the other end of the body from where the problem is. He should be looking at the toe. So he asked the neurologist, why are you looking at the head when the problem is the toe? And the neurologist answered him, Mike, you don't understand. Everything in the body goes back to the head. Your head is your command and control center that sends directives to every part of the body. And something is happening in Luca's brain. There is a little disc in the spine which is not functioning properly and is disrupting the signal from the brain to his foot, which causes his foot 
to drag, which causes the toe on the foot to become infected. And then he said this, one little part in the body can disrupt the signal that's being passed from the head. That'll preach. Jesus is the head. And and one little disruption in the body can affect the entire signal that the head is wanting to send. Slaughter then writes these words, which echo basically what I've just said. Jesus is the head of the body. One little part that's not functioning, one little part that's not healthy will impact the whole body. You think that it only affects you. You think that if this week you're not acting and functioning as Christ is calling you to act and function, it's not going to hurt anybody but you. But the end result is that it disrupts the whole body of Christ. And he closes with this thought. It is critical that you are connected to the body so that the directions of Christ, the head of the body, is not disrupted to the rest of the body. Too many people are a part of the body of Christ, but they're not functioning properly. You may attend or even be a member of the institutional church, that is, every local church in our community. You may be a member of any one of those churches. But here's here's the thing, friends. You can be a member of the body and still not function or serve in the body of Christ. You may come here, you may soak things in every Sunday morning, but then you leave and you never get involved in the ministry and the mission of Jesus through Trinity Faith Church. And I'm guessing that many of us don't even know where to begin because we don't know what our spiritual gifts are, which are to be given to the work of the kingdom and his purposes. So I'm going to help you with that this morning. Five things really quickly that happen when you're connected in community. First, God connects us to strategic relationships. Let me explain it this way. Have you ever just happened to run into someone who met a specific need that you had? And out of that running into that person, you knew that God had sent that person specifically for you. Anybody? We've all had that happen, haven't we? God just happened. God just happened to have someone in the city of Damascus whom he knew he would be whom he knew would be obedient to go even to one who was a feared persecutor of the faith Saul so God sends this man named Ananias to Saul to heal him not just to heal him so that he could see again physically but heal him spiritually so that he could begin to see God's purposes in a spiritual realm and to begin mentoring him in his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus will always have another person, a strategic relationship, a mentor through whom he will speak to you, he will heal you, and who will teach you in the faith. You'll hear God's purpose for your life through the voice of other brothers and sisters in the body. 
It's not just about you. God is working us all together to accomplish His purposes. God will also then one day send you into the lives of others to speak the gospel to them, to heal their physical and spiritual needs. Have you mentor them in the faith and help them to discover their life purpose. Secondly, our fears and our vulnerabilities will be healed. It was Paul, Saul's, I keep calling him Paul, I'm sorry. It was Saul's fear of the followers of Jesus and their potential impact upon the world that led him to seek to destroy every one of them. Those fears and those vulnerabilities became personal when Saul was knocked off of that donkey on that road to Damascus and his eyes were blinded by Jesus. And as we face inevitable trials and troubles and tragedies in our life, God intends that we be supported, that we be strengthened, that we be encouraged, that we be empowered through the community of believers that we call the church. When we're weak, those around us become strong for us. That's how God, God's plan works. Thirdly, community will provide opportunities for ministry. Ananias was sent to minister to Saul. Now apart, he could do nothing. But together with Saul, he had the opportunity to bring healing to Saul and to begin to disciple, to disciple Saul. You never really minister to someone until you until you touch and address their point of, need, of greatest need. Now, think about this. In Saul's mind, I mean, he's been blinded for three days, right? What does he think is his greatest need? To be able to see again. His sight. Ananias coming to pray for him not only gave him his sight, but it healed his spiritual blindness as well. Ananias... Uh, through being part of a community of believers that God could use, illustrates to us that community will give us opportunities to minister in unique and personal ways to one another. Fourthly, and I'm hurrying, we discover and are challenged to live out God's purpose in our lives. Alone, Saul was seeking out what he thought was God's purpose for his life, which was to destroy the followers of Jesus. But once Saul was surrounded by not just Ananias, but we read in verse number 18 that there were other disciples in the city of Damascus. Once Saul was surrounded by Ananias and those other fellow believers, he then discovered what God's purpose for his life really was, and that was to lead the mission of Jesus to the Gentiles, which amounted to 95% of the people in that region of the Mediterranean basin. In community, friends, others will challenge you. Others will push you. They will encourage you. They, 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 will, they will encourage you to do more than you would on your own. And that's to accomplish God's purposes. Fifthly and lastly, we receive guidance. Someone has aptly said it this way. We need the community of believers because none of us is as smart as all of us. They weren't good at their English, but they get the point across. None of us 
is as smart as all of us. We need guidance to lead us safely through our spiritual journey. And if we'll utilize that guidance, I think many of you would agree with me here this morning, we can avoid some of the wrong turns that face us with regularity, the harmful paths. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 10, later on Paul says this, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. God wants to guide us, but He has chosen to do it through His people in the community of faith, the church. He gives us wisdom for the journey. We study together His Word as we pray together, as we discuss and share life together, and we live out His purpose for our lives together. All of this is to say this. We need each other. Clear back in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. The wisest man who ever lived said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 12, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. But then he says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Together, we have greater strength. If you only come on Sunday morning, you're missing it because the DNA of Jesus is imprinted on us through meeting as a small group. Boy, what a day to talk about this. We are a small group. But even if our entire church family was here this morning, which they're not, we're still a small group in light of the entire family of God. Jesus imprinted himself, think about this, he imprinted himself upon 11 disciples. And from that, those 11 disciples turned the world upside down with the gospel after the Holy Spirit empowered them to do so. We have that same Holy Spirit accessible to us to make us effective, to empower us. It's in smaller groups that we more readily experience the power of Christ and the purpose of Christ at its deepest level. What's the church supposed to look like? A collection of small groups of people who are seeking to put the needs of others ahead of their own. Even in this setting, we are servants and ministers to one another. We watch out for one another. We watch out for one another. We care about one another. We encourage one another to do our best in living for Jesus. We, we encourage one another to day by day become more like Him and to discover and fulfill God's purpose for our lives. We're meant to be in community with others in the body of Christ and we have to make it our goal to build one another up. There's this character that emerges here in the book of Acts. I believe it's chapter number 12 where we're first introduced to this follower of Jesus whose name is Barnabas. I don't know how much you know about Barnabas, but I can say this about Barnabas. Barnabas, when Barnabas was at his best, he was an encourager. Boy, we need more Barnabases in the church. We need more people with the gift of encouragement to pick others up when we're struggling, and we all do from time to time. We need someone to come alongside us and to encourage us. To be our Barnabas, if you will. God wants us to leave these individual and isolated lives and join together an uncommon community 
for our sake, for the sake of connecting diverse communities in our surrounding area to a lifestyle that's devoted to Jesus. And it's time that we stop making excuses for not doing so. Now's the time for us to say, I want to go deeper with the Lord Jesus. I want to discover God's purpose for my life and our life by being in community with others. And if you haven't heard anything else that I've said, tune me in for this last part. Because here's the biggest application to each of us in this message today. You see, God's been speaking to my heart about this very issue for the better part of the past couple of years. And as I've gotten to know the people of this church and we've, we've shared some good times and, and good conversations together over the past three years, I've become aware that there are some in this body who have been dealing with hurts of one type or another, some for many, many years. And I've also become aware that some of us have been dealing with offenses that have occurred in our lives, that have, that have resulted in damaged relationships within the body. More than anything else that I can say to you today, if you fall in either one of those categories, more than anything else, here's what doing life together involves for the follower of Jesus. It involves forgiving. It involves forgiving, forgetting, and moving on. Matthew 6.15, Jesus gives us some very plain yet harsh instruction. He said, if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Did, did you grasp that? Uh, that doesn't need a whole lot of explanation from the pastor. If you don't forgive your brother... God's not going to forgive you. How many of you need forgiveness regularly? We all do. We all do. God will not give us that forgiveness if we can't forgive one another. Forgiving people, that includes family. It includes friends. It includes business associates. It includes acquaintances. And it also includes others of us who are already in the family of God. Remember that illustration I gave you a while ago about the toe being separated from the body? You can be a toe, but if you try to do life on your own, apart from the body, it's going to be very difficult, and it's going to be very ineffective to see you try to win your community with the good news of Jesus in that capacity. It's such a huge issue. We cannot experience the moving of the Spirit of God in power in our midst if there is unforgiveness in our midst. So here's my suggestion. Uh, matter of fact, it's not really a suggestion. It's more of a plea for your sake and for the sake of the family of God that we call Trinity Faith Church. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, for someone who has hurt you, offended you, or done you wrong. And if you are aware of someone that you perhaps might have hurt, offended, or done wrong. Get it taken care of today. It's important. 
get it taken care of. Your forgiveness, your standing with God is dependent upon you getting it taken care of. Can you only imagine what it would feel like if each of us, as did the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 13, could say these words, forgetting what is behind, reach forward to what is ahead. I know that's another translation. That's my paraphrase. Forgetting all that's happened in the past. And move on to what God has in store for us ahead of us. Can you only imagine what Trinity Faith Church would look like and even more importantly, what the kingdom of God would look like if we united ourselves together, pledging each of us as individuals to the purpose of collectively working together to reach our community with the good news of Jesus, no matter what that purpose might look like. Can you only imagine what we could do if every one of us here this morning would do our part, no matter how big or how small, to build the kingdom of God through this church? Can you only imagine what it would be like to have Jesus look squarely at you in your eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many great things. Can you only imagine? Jacob, would you come, please? Boy, this is one of those where I wish all of us were here. Friends, this is the most important issue that we have to face. Forgiving, forgetting, and moving on. And, you know, just in case you think I'm picking on this church, this message could be preached in any church around the world this morning. I mean, you're, you're a part of the church, but you've been hurt. You've been offended. Or you've hurt someone, or you've offended someone, and there's this breach in your relationship. What if I would say to my toe, toe, I don't want you to be a part of my body anymore. I'm not going to utilize you anymore because I don't like toes. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But yet, tragically, spiritually speaking, that happens in churches. Offenses take place, hurts. Things that have been done that were wrong. And rather than being able to say, I'm sorry, let's put that in the past. Let's move on. Our pride says, I have a right to my feelings. Well, you do. As long as you understand that with that attitude, God has a right to his feelings about your sin too. Wow.
And He will not forgive it unless you are willing to forgive others. Lord Jesus, I know we're few in number. Lord, we're few in number when all of us are here. But we're still more than the 11 that you invested your life in. (laughs) And the Lord knows they had all kinds of issues within that group of 11. They were jealous of one another. They did hurtful things to one another. One of them even denied you on three different occasions at your moment of greatest need. So Lord, we're not a whole lot unlike they they were. And you, through your forgiveness, took those 11 and literally turned the world upside down with the good news that Jesus saves. And Lord, I just have a feeling that there are people in this room this morning that have more talent, that have more abilities, that have more education than any of those 11 disciples had. And so, having said that, God, you can use us to a greater degree than you use them if only we'll allow your Holy Spirit to empower us and to help us find the purpose for which you've created us and have us here. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to search each heart this morning. Search each one of us, Jesus. Lord, you you told us in another place that before we bring our gifts to you to use as you see fit, we have to make sure first that there's nothing between us and another brother or sister in the family of God. You told us to go take care of those things first because that's more important than utilizing of our talents and our gifts and our abilities. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray, dear Jesus, that the application of this message will will impact each of us deeply this morning. Whether it's somebody here or somebody in our community, that we will be men and women who value who value what you want us to do and to accomplish in this community. To lay down our pride, to lay down our rights, and to go to that person and make things right so that we can be made right. Lord, the most encouraging thing that I can say to this small group this morning is that if we do all of those things, Never once will you leave us alone. You'll be faithful, God. You'll be faithful to act upon what you have said in your word. 
Your promises are yea and amen to all who believe. And Lord, we want all that you have for us this morning. Would you stand with me, please? Jacob, lead us in that song again. One minute till the noon hour. Let's sing it together and apply the words to our lives.